You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with a brand new film Friday. Finally back, talking More about like movies. Story Saturday or Sci Fi Saturday? <laughs> sci Fi Saturday. There that you works. Go. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, we're stoked to be back. This was one, um, it's kind of been on the list for a little while, I guess. It's a Criterion mm-hmm. classic. But before we jump right into it, though, as usual, tiny, tiny bit of housekeeping. The really only thing we wanted to mention to you guys off the top of the show. We're a little bit behind this week, as usual, yeah. on Into the Portal. So uh, no regular feed episode this week. Sorry, guys. Sorry about that, guys. It's kind of my bad, to be honest. I was pretty preoccupied with... Special um, event. Yeah, it was a special event at work, and it was just the first we've done in a really great. long time. So Definitely. I was My brain was just kind of out in the ether of that. Indeed. So anyways, yeah, we really want to make sure this is a really good one for you. Definitely. All of you. So we're just going to take an extra week just to put it together. For sure. And it's going to be, I guess we can give a little teaser at the end of the episode maybe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we just wanted to let you guys know that. And that was pretty much it. So let's jump right into this. Yeah. Today we're talking about 1958 sci-fi classic. At least it's a classic now. Fiend without a face. Fiend mm-hmm. without a face. That's how I like to pronounce it anyway. (laughs) Mad science spawns evil fiends is kind of the secondary, the tagline with the title there. Mm -hmm. So like I said off the top, Criterion Collection film, we actually uh, purchased this mad discounted Mm -hmm. from an actual physical brick and mortar movie store here in Kelowna (laughs) that is sadly going out of business, unfortunately. So like shout out to Leo's Video because we've been patrons of them for a long time. And that was really awesome to get a Mm -hmm. collection of sweet movies that we've been renting from them for years. And now we get to own them. Yeah. Directed by Arthur Crabtree. <laughs> Amber the added a little LOL Crabtree. Crabtree here because obviously we're massive Murdoch Mysteries fans. Anyone who's <laughs> ever watched any amount of Murdoch will know Crabtree, obviously. Oh, yeah. And he has so many like roles and episodes where he's basically spouting off these ridiculous theories about aliens or or under underground creatures or whoever or like living you know mummies like egyptian mummies yeah, the living whatever mummies, it may be haunted curse of the mummy mm-hmm. yeah so this is definitely up his alley so kudos to crabtree the, the real crabtree arthur crabtree right mm-hmm. okay well let's let's do what we, we usually do and obviously like we hope all of you have watched this movie find a way to watch it it's awesome. It's really, really good. And it's just so classic. It honestly kind of reminds me of like an earlier version of The Thing to a certain extent, except mm-hmm. this does not have extraterrestrial origins. Right. It has very terrestrial origins, very Strangely. human origins, these mm. fiends. But to kick things off here, yeah, this is interesting because we are actually 
locate this film the scene the setting is winthrop manitoba canada yeah which is kind of cool um connection indeed canadian yeah yeah yeah, totally and this was very typical of the cold war era which is what we're dealing with in this film right and essentially we get started off with a soldier he's standing guard you see the sign behind him as he's smoking his little cigarette u.s air force experimental base number six winthrop manitoba right so that's pretty cool and then it gets going right away which you love and i always love too and we get some action and there's a a a man he's kind of like in the forest and then he becomes the first victim of the fiend (laughs) which is just really weird like you don't even see anything you hear a shriek or a cry Mm -hmm. soldier comes running through the bushes and then he finds this victim it's funny too because your first the first thing you think when you see this initial scene is like this is going to be such a cheesy movie, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like, and it, and it totally was considered like a B, a B movie, like a B sci-fi. Yeah, but I can see that as you hold on and just kind of like wait a sec because it's still it's obviously classic. Like us sitting here now in in you know 2019, looking back in 1958, but uh, it just it it's it's cheesy in the best ways because you can't see the monsters, yeah. right? We don't see them. Exactly. It's so bad it's good. Right. Well, you do see them eventually. Uh, Eventually we do. Exactly. But it does start off very mysterious. You just hear like the rustlings of things, like these weird, like creature-y sounds, these gurgling kind of weirdness. Like, (laughs) but then, yeah, it's kind of this weird thing, right? Where you get a death and then it switches over to the military side, right? So we're getting Major Cummings. He is the lead star of this film. Mm -hmm. And he is investigating this death because he, and the military have both deemed it unfit for local investigators. And this yeah. kind of, again, illuminates this dichotomy or this um, this binary or just like the struggle, not the struggle, but just the, the butting of heads between the, the military, so the Americans, and then the locals, which are Canadians, and the distrust between the two, right? It's very mutual to And they keep extent. saying, though, it's like, oh, we're, you know, because this is a mutual, it's like a joint military base, obviously, like you said, for Cold War protection against some sort of the Russian attack, right? Yeah, and, from the north. But of course, the locals don't trust anything that's going on because there's a very, very, very heavy-handed message, I guess you would say, or just like theme of uh, radioactive fallout and atomic energy, essentially, which was obviously mm-hmm. a massive topic of discussion. Oh yeah, and a lot of people distrusted it, and they distrusted the people that were using it, and so yeah, that, exactly. That's a huge theme of this film here. Mm-hmm. And it gets even better. So this is interesting because Cummings, he is the one that is going about his investigation. And he actually, he goes to visit this guy. He becomes suspicious of a professor, right? We get the classic professor role in this film, uh, Dr. R.E. Walgate. And essentially he goes to see him. But before he can, there's this weird sort of like development where the body has been like taken by the locals. Yeah. So again, that plays into this, this theme that we've already mentioned before. And so this, (laughs) this kind of negates their conclusions, right? Because they don't know how this person died. They don't know why, what's going on. Is it trying to be covered up by the locals? Because it's the local coroner and the mayor that kind of halt this and they claim the body before an autopsy can be performed. Which is so strange and suspicious, obviously. It kind of is, It's right? the same theme that we've seen how many times in countless X-Files episodes or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah many things 
Mm-hmm. Mur- Murdoch Mysteries episodes, actually. Oh, even yeah. Just been going back to that reference. That's, Definitely, right, yeah. Where it's like, hmm. And the main goal of Cummings is obviously to, to dissuade the public opinion from thinking that it has anything to do with radiation or anything to do with the military. And he even says outright, like, local investigators are going to blame radiation and the military for this death. So they're kind of, uh, from the get-go, they're out to prove that they don't have involvement and they're down to get to the bottom of this because it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. We don't even know how weird it really is yet. The victim's sister, she's kind of an interesting character too, right? This Barbara, Barbara Grizel. So she kind of becomes a figure that is very central in the plot here because of her role with the professor as his assistant and also because her brother was the first victim. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the whole time we were watching this, uh, you and I were both saying like, wow, she reminds us a lot of Audrey Hepburn. Very much so. Yeah. I actually looked into her like background a little bit. She didn't do too, too much. She Mm -hmm. had a few like, yeah, mostly like B movies, uh, sci-fi, like something to do with uh, space women or I can't remember. We'll have to check out a few more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but she's very, very pretty. She's very nice to look at. The actual poster is so funny because, like, on the poster, it's just her towel clad. Yes. Which is a very entertaining scene to say the least yeah it's the great. major is so funny he just kind of he doesn't barge in but he's kind of just like oh a little presumptuous and just enters her home the door is open it not is like open. unlocked like literally a jar i guess why i wonder well, that's kind of it's yeah, kind of odd it's the open door it's a symbol hey eh? mm. because she is the most open and she trusts him most like instantly basically hey actually i suppose that is yeah i, I didn't really think of that if you want to dig into some symbolism and stuff yeah. like that well that it does make works. sense she she does trust him but she she doesn't want to show it around that first local that then come like as the major is talking to her in that scene when he walks mm-hmm. in on her towel clad mm-hmm. and then the guy who ends up trying to rally the locals and they at later point a later point in the movie think that it's some sort of like you know totally disgruntled like gone crazy gi that's like going rampant and killing people is the theory mm-hmm. of some of the locals so they yeah. gather up this like pitchfork and and uh and torch kind of party to go into the woods which mm-hmm. doesn't exactly p- paint a very pretty picture of uh the locals in winthrop manitoba 1958 per se yeah. but um where was I going with that exactly? Oh, yeah, the confrontation. He comes in and she kind of tightens up. She's really loose with Major Cummings when he first comes into the house. And right. then she's like, you better leave. Like, you know, like, get the hell out of here. Because she doesn't really want to seem like she's sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Even though she does start to refer to him by the first name pretty fast, too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she getting does. comfortable. Comfortable. There was one scene, though, before he even goes to her house, right? And they they have her in the, the office at the military base, and they're kind of going over. They find something, right, on the on the victim or around the victim. It's kind of it's a notebook, and it's kind of taking note of all the takeoffs and landings of the military base and they kind of describe it to her and then as she's kind of realizing what it is she basically plays it off as like oh no he's actually talking about the cows right it's like some sort of weird like i wouldn't call it like code but it's kind of a strange and that's her interpretation initially well she it's she's she clearly interpreted as like a log of him like keeping track of yeah like the the emotions of the cows and their how they were affected by the planes. 
how they're the radioactive yeah. testing or whatever was else was going exactly. on exactly but that notebook does come into play again right because it actually has more to do with the professor's experiments initially right and she's just an interesting bird overall so she's kind of in the know kind of not in the know she doesn't even realize her professor has a laboratory in his house which is kind of funny <laughs> yeah, how would you not know that like well, you're, you're there he's a professor maybe it was hmm. one of those situations where you kind of like don't really want to know so you choose not to know true thing, or you're you know only told so much and, and you're an employee ergo you kind of respect those boundaries kind of right. thing i could see that definitely because this guy this professor is quite the character too should we talk about him sure or? let's talk about the professor a little bit okay. he kind of reminds me he's not he's not he doesn't have like the evil the evil professor kind of thing behind him like some of the others i guess like i don't know why yeah, but he's not nefarious he's just kind of uh not a bumbling fool either though he's kind of just He's very determined with his psychic experiments and all exactly. Stuff. Like just for like I, I don't even know why I thought of this, but just the reanimator popped into my head a few minutes ago when when we were kind of going back and forth oh, here. Yeah. And it's like not like that guy. No. <laughs> um but yeah. Sort of a just similar kind of a film weirdo. in different eras, I suppose you might say. Mm-hmm. Kind of just the classic professor trope where he, he he digs himself a hole that's way too big for his capabilities and understanding very classic humanist scientist to a certain degree a little bit how can you not i mean the yeah the possibility of falling into situations like that when you're performing experiments i mean that's just it it's an experiment you don't know Mm -hmm. what the result is going to be exactly he's just going into it blind and his situation is obviously perfect right because he's situated right beside this military base and i think he had some sort of relationship with the military too if i'm not mistaken before he retired well it was funny like during yes i think that's right and then during his well monologue whatever you want to call it during one of the main scenes where he's explaining this he just openly admits to like stealing power (laughs) like just so flagrantly like i've been stealing copious amounts of power for like a very long time and it's just (laughs) it's just like so casual about it basically it's it's very intriguing his whole before we get into that though there was a scene that kind of foreshadows where we're leading to with this where as, this is like right after um, Grizel or Barbara is interviewed by the military at the base and they have a breakthrough right after that. And you see a scene with Major Cummings and he's uh, getting a report from his like engineers and all this stuff about how they've had a breakthrough in the radar detection over the Arctic Circle. And the way they phrase is like they're peering right into the Russians backyard, which is pivotal, right? During the Cold War era, like this is something that was it was integral to national security. Mm-hmm. And beyond. Uh, Canadian and American. It's funny. It's like the the battle for the Arctic is still ongoing. Oh, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) every day. Except this time, like in this era, obviously, they're watching for missiles. They're watching for planes. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting because you get the scene where the radar is getting to a point where it's growing and growing, but then it suddenly stops, even though they're increasing the power of their generators already over capacity as the engineer tells him but major cummings this is a funny little quote from the scene from the movie he says major cummings we want you to give us everything you've got peterson engineer (laughs) but jeff we've already exceeded the design limits every time you take a test you ask for more power if i take any more of those rods out the reactor's liable to get out of control (laughs) major cummings well, take some more out. We'll have to risk it. We've got to have more power. <laughs> so what is that? Like, well it's done. just well very done. obviously like the symbolism, right? Of this increasing, like, you know, like um, infinite amounts of power and how that plays into the ultimate 
plot, I guess. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, maybe. Not really. I think you're doing a good job. We're we're going in chronological order here. Yeah, I guess so, hey. Because we're at the point now where, yeah, we're getting this weird mystery of the disappearing power. We're also seeing... um, well, we see the funeral, right? That's another thing, too, of Jack Rizal. Meanwhile, these planes are roaring overhead, which is kind of like, you know, the constant disruption of military life or in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And right after that is where we get more victims. So this, to me, was kind of interesting, right? Because it's just a farmer and his wife, and they're going about their daily chores. She's going to feed the chickens before she comes back in. Right. You don't see much. You just see them kind of, like, grab their necks or whatever and fall to the ground. And Well, yeah, okay, so the wife, yeah, she gets she gets strangled going mm-hmm. into the feed the chickens, and then he comes Seemingly with, strangled. Right. But, and he's just like, well, she's classic name. It's like Mabel, Mabel, or something like that. And, Margie, uh, Margie. Something like mm. that. And then he tries stabbing at whatever this thing is that he cannot he can't see underneath the straw and it's like yeah yeah i mean at this point we're still super entertained despite not seeing what these things are Mm -hmm. because you want to know what it is because clearly it's something wrapping around and like that's why it's almost like you're thinking to yourself this is something out of like alien yeah it seems extraterrestrial because Mm -hmm. i think of like the face grabbing scene from like the alien movies right like the tail kind of wraps around the neck like on your face <laughs> and that's sort of like what these things end up being a little but bit suckers but um the fiends do you want to get into that a little bit the fiends yeah because i was initially when we've we've seen this movie a few times now and that scene with the farmer's wife and they kind of fall in a, i had this i wrote it down i was like like what's the motive of these fiends like why are they just Survival. strangling people but then it gets into more than just that yeah. right because then we get the results of the autopsies right so the autopsies start coming in and they we end up with some classic cl- uh, quotes and one from major cummings where it's uh, it's as if it's some uh, mental vampire were at work mm-hmm. is this line and then the doctor performing the autopsy ends up agreeing with his statement because essentially the brain and spinal cord were missing that's weird man. and where'd it go consumed How? presumably right i guess because but this is the thing we're going to get into when we break break down the monsters the fiends if you will because they're a there's a lot at work here when it comes to into the portal and the paranormal in this movie right we thought going into it the first time we watched it extraterrestrial of some kind right like this professor has some sort of ties to something weird in the government or whatever but yeah basically we have we're dealing with manifesting something physical from the energy of human thought and then that thing needing to sustain itself in the same way like a literal cryptozoological monster phenomena might need to by consuming and or utilizing in some way the energy of the human brain and then maybe hmm. the spinal cord is just a byproduct of its attack. Well, but it's all part of the central nervous system, and these things literally represent physically the central nervous system, right? They do. So it's like like it's like a central like nervous system to chupacabra. create like, right? <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Y- yes. Let's go with that. You know, it's Say like it again. <laughs> <laughs> like eats like in order to stay like. <laughs> that's okay. like that's okay. not. <laughs> okay. Not, no, you know what, what I'm saying. trying to say, though. It, it consumes its likeness because it's it's a it's basically that. It exactly, is just, it's the it life is just force. a nervous system. But then, it, <laughs> but it's so nefarious. It's so it's, it's a monster, right? It's like it it, it behaves <laughs> as if a creature with arms and legs and claws and a mouth and and thin, that's very and, true. And, and, all and of these that's things. kind of something that I put in the discussion section is like the actual 
what can we actually define these things as? Are they these fiends? Are they nefarious? Are they simple organisms that need to survive much like any other organism? But how the hell were these things created? Let's get into that because the professor has a very interesting tale and you've already kind of illuminated part of it, but I thought this was really fun. And so he is a psychologist. He's studying psychic phenomena and mm-hmm. the effects of the brain. And he actually has this manuscript called The Principles of Thought Control. That was a very interesting piece. And that's something that Major Cummings stumbles across. And then he realizes that this professor has a lot more to do with what's actually going on in this little town. Yeah. And it's really fun when they actually get him in the in the big armchair, right? In the classic scene where he just starts spouting off with the monologue and, <laughs> and his whole story of whatever. And you could just, you, 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 I honestly picture this as like a novel, like, you know, like a turn of the century, like 19th century. It almost novel. kind of like reads that way. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to just read the screenplay. I wouldn't be surprised if this was a, a short story. I didn't actually look into that, but. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, so he's essentially studying the psychic phenomena. He is convinced that he can use his brain to manifest thoughts and control thoughts in a physical way. And the main way he's trying to do this is by turning a page in a book. And his breakthrough comes one day because he's all hooked up to his, like, you know, his um, equipment, whether it's just to monitor or to enhance. I'm not quite sure what it's doing, but, you know, it's pretty, pretty technical looking. It's and very sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, it's very sci-fi, very advanced, and he's doing it all on his own, right? He's no assistant, no nothing, no. which is kind of interesting. Because he's, he's doing it secretly because he's not mm-hmm. hes not really sure. It's almost like, and his expressions on his face the whole time, it's like he's really wanting to achieve. It's almost like a Frankenstein type of deal. Oh, it's like definitely. he's not even sure what he's trying to do. What he's, he's trying gonna, to accomplish. What the end result is going to be. But the look on his face, he's like, I have to do this anyway. Mm-hmm. And so then his breakthrough comes one day when he is in the middle of his experiments and you get the lightning storm and the lightning strike. And that increased power allows him to flip the page. And so from there, obviously, he runs rampant, running wild with his thoughts, literally. Mm-hmm. Mm, we're not quite yet. Pun and, intended. And then that's where, like he already alluded to, he starts stealing power from the nearby nuclear facility owned by the Americans. Yeah. And then... Lo and behold, of course, you get the classic narrative where his experiments run wild, escape um, beyond his control as hard as he might try, destroy everything, right? So he has no record of how he created these things, how he accomplished it, and his equipment is destroyed too. And that that right there is very strange. Like that is a topic of conversation for this because basically he describes that like he's like, I succeeded in in my project, right? I succeeded in creating the life form. But he's not sure that they're dangerous at this point in time. He basically says mm-hmm. that they they slowly gained more intelligence and more individual capabilities. And he then could sense this, them, right. but he couldn't see them. And mm-hmm. then there's this classic, he, yeah, he comes in, things are destroyed. But why? Like the level of intelligence for them to not want to be like known or something. Or right? controlled or like, by him. Or, yeah, or, yeah, or something like that. The fear of him being able to figure it out. But to, or, to go or, that far. Or is it simple survival where they need more power? So they escape in order to find it. But why the notes? Like, why destroy everything? That speaks to more of a sentient organism, exactly. right? That doesn't want... To be known, to be discovered, yeah. or to be messed with or something. Exactly. And that's their main strength, right? Is invisibility. Pretty much. On the and society clearly, scale and the physical scale, too. They're clearly extremely powerful, too. Because these things mm-hmm. are not that big, but they, like, overpower everything. They just jump. They have one leap and then they're on you. It's like, (laughs) 
It's like something on a blanket. <laughs> mm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but yeah, they're very, very uh, effective while they are invisible. As soon as they turn visible, their vulnerability increases exponentially. Like, yeah. That is their main downfall, which is kind of ironic, right? Because it is almost a parallel narrative, right? To what's happening with the nuclear base and with the increasing power yeah. and how they become more vulnerable as a, as a result. Same thing with these creatures, right? Exactly. They're getting more and more power and more. And then as a result, they're more fallible. And mm. the professor has been essentially in denial about this this entire time. He heard about the deaths on the can- from the military base, he didn't want to think that it was his the fiends. But then he has the classic line: "I I realized then I had created a fiend." <laughs> it's just so perfect. Yeah, um, <laughs> mad science, eh? But the 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 main military commanders at this point still don't believe in any of this, and it's not till the very end of his long monologue where there's multiple other sort of like you know uh, martial police or whoever there, and one of them by the door gets you know the the, the glass is shattered and snatched through and then right. the, and then one of the you know the, the generals who's standing there who's just like this man's insane he's got to be committed he's kind of just standing there left like uh well maybe guess no. not all right well <laughs> uh, we, i suppose we need to kill these things now and from that point on this movie gets pretty gory for the times yeah Mm-hmm. Not by our standards, by any means. No. But for the times. It's lots of like ketchup oozing out of brain-like things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, and they and they realize that it's the nuclear facility, right? Like you just said. Like the professor makes that statement. Uh, General Major Cummings realizes they need to shut this all down. At this whole time, these fiends have just been using the power and then sucking brains out of the back of people's heads. Just to clarify mm-hmm. that for everybody here, if you haven't <laughs> actually watched the movie. So this is just fantastic. It was really controversial. If you can't gauge that, by the way, I just said that last sentence there of <laughs> sucking brains out of the back of heads. But it wasn't even so much that. Like, that was definitely seen as being violent. But there was other things about it, too. This wasn't the first release. This wasn't the premiere. But this was an interesting little bit I pulled from uh, this website, Den of Geek. Um, they cover a whole bunch of movies and cool oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, summer of 1958, I don't know in what order this was the release. The first uh, premiere was in London because this was actually a British production, believe it or not. The original screenplay. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of Americans involved. Oh, but if, it was uh, that makes sense because actually this is random trivia, but a lot of the military personnel were actually British. And in uh, one of the scenes, um, one of them salutes Major Cummings in the British salute, which was wrong because it's a military base and then major cummings returns the salute with the proper american salute it's it's the difference between having your hand like tilted in or tilted out okay interesting Mm -hmm. a little bit of trivia there Mm -hmm. so yeah this was sometime in the summer of the of the uh the year it was released in 58 and there was apparently like a lot of crowds uh in new york and there was this uh display of the creature Essentially, right, which yeah. is kind of interesting because it's giving it away, right? But at the same time, it's the 50s. So this is obviously going to reel people in. And this was outside of, uh, ooh, how do you pronounce this? The, the, the Rialto Theater in, on, in Times Square. So glass case containing the creature that in the article here, the author says essentially, you know, very much like they do in the movie, a, a cross between a gastropod with a series of internal organs awkwardly stitched together, its head essentially a, a gray wobbling human brain. This version had uh, eyes on stalks, which is interesting, just as a snail's would. I didn't really notice that in the... There was a few moments where I kind of noticed things that was like sort that, of like, like appendages. It was so... Th- it's stop motion animation, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like hard to gauge those kinds of things. And then, of course, the body resembling a spinal column, 
which was found removed from all the victims in the film. Mm-hmm. And people were pretty like gawking at this. Apparently there was even sound effects for this too. So it had the classic like, Ew. which was this very <laughs> cheesy sound effect yeah. that's become so iconic in uh, especially 50s sci-fi lore, but just in mm-hmm. sci-fi lore in general. And, and in the intro, or not the intro, but the, the menu for the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like... the menu. It's awesome. <laughs> Apparently this really affected, like according to this article, traffic. Like this was like a big issue and just kind of added to the already like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. well, a lot of people didn't like this movie, wanted it banned, thought it was yeah. in, in poor taste. Oh, super controversial. And yeah, people were, because it was, it was, um, it was almost like going to not like the circus, but you know, when you have like those traveling shows, these exhibits, something like that, right. Where it's just kind like, it's outrageous. Like it's Definitely. outrageous. It's upsetting. It's exciting. It's all of the above. This is an actual quote here. I've pulled from that same article and this was the, this was the actual premiere. So following the movie's uh, British premiere at the Ritz theater in London, the response was furious. <laughs> Even with its X rating, film critics wondered uh, aloud how this extraordinary, extraordinarily bloody film managed to get past the censors. It's even said that the fiend without a face was discussed in British Parliament, where ministers uh, also asked exactly how this came to be. Who gave it its certification? Really? It, apparently, according to this article uh, written by Ryan Lambie from uh, denofgeek.com. Oh my Interesting, goodness. right? So That's this was literally funny. discussed in Parliament. And if you watch it nowadays, it's like, holy sweet and sour. If I wonder what the original production nowadays, house was, hey? Yeah, we could definitely pull that up. Yeah, I should. Anyway... In all the effects, I mean, so it was all done by this guy, this German guy, Karl Ludwig Ruppel. And like I said, stop motion fiends, the stop motion animation. But yeah, like we said, throughout this entire thing, you don't see them. You see people getting strangled. There's even, you know, a fight scene if you're, if you're considering that violence with Major Cummings and the confrontation with the dude in the living room. But there's no straight up fiend violence until this massive breakout of like blood and gore at the end of the movie which is fantastic. Where they're all kind of situated in the professor's living room. The professor, he tries to go out, right? He's like, maybe I can control him. And then he ends up just getting like piled on top of it. It's like, it's like a Monday night football game. <laughs> yeah. And that's the question. It's like, maybe he would have been able to control them if he had the opportunity to at an earlier stage of their development. That's but they've just gone it, though. loose. They've gotten loose. Well, they're beyond his capacity. Like he doesn't actually have any like telepathic um, communication with them, right? Like they're kind of they've spawned and they're their own things now. These weird amorphous yeah. amphibian like brains. And I'm just trying to like picture in my mind how the creation of them would look in like physically, like if you were to see it visually. From the mental energy being manifested mm-hmm. into these monsters. Well, to me, I think it was really smart the way they started off, um, like just plot wise, how the monsters start off invisible as if that was like, it's a, it's a generation, right? It's an evolution of their nature yeah, and their physical form. Right. They've gone from psychic to physical. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And now that they can see them, everybody starts busting out the guns because they're like great at least these things die that was one of the lines from Mm, major cummings and of course they're all holed into the professor's office boarded up the windows the one guy uh melville that is the name is just freaking out he's one of the locals or something like that right Mm -hmm. and everyone else is just open firing and it's blood and ooze coming out of these things they essentially like explode they Mm -hmm. make this very interesting sci-fi sound it's like a ketchupy sound yeah ketchupy sure let's go with that (laughs) Uh, yeah, essentially, yeah, very, very, very gory for the time, which is hard to believe. It is kind of hard to believe. It's nowhere even near 
even like the gore we see from like the 70s and 80s. Oh, God. Yeah. But you would imagine it would be very shocking to see something like that. Yeah. Something so alien looking too, right? These things are pretty imaginative if you think, well, (laughs) imaginative. It is just a brain, I guess, with a tail attached to it. I wish this movie was in color though. Like it's kind of fun that it's in black and white. But they, there was the possibility of it being in color. Really? At that point in time, oh, okay. I guess right? so. Yeah. If it was 58? nineteen. Yeah. Because there was. We've watched some fifties movies. What? What was? Um. Even twenty thousand leagues. Wasn't that fifty something? Even slightly earlier. Fifty six, fifty four. I thought it was 55? slightly earlier, and of course that was color. But that I, th- I feel like Walt Disney had some proprietary things going on there for mm-hmm. his film production. Yeah, that's true. Actually, but like, okay, let's break down a little bit more of the actual fiends itself. The physical physical manifestations from thought. So the power of the mind accessing energy beyond any known science, I guess, is how we can try to rationalize this to the point of forming matter into a literal physical form that then takes on an entire life of its own. This is so beyond Frankenstein, like taking body parts and stitching it together and having the lightning, even though we literally have that. The we lightning. Do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very Frankenstein-esque. Mm-hmm. The back source to of that. life. Yep. So what do you think about that? Um, I like the the jump between the psychic to the physical like you know you're going from an a material to a material form do you believe which, it to be possible well but that's just it though it's like yeah we can get in all sorts of like can you spawn life in say another dimension other than your own can that hmm. then cross over right like what what is what is consciousness can we project consciousness Ooh, hmm. that's actually maybe an interesting theory for this it's like maybe the professor and of course we're just making this all up but it's like Maybe he did just open a portal. He didn't actually create these things at all. He thinks he Mm -hmm. did. And he just accessed something that he shouldn't have. But Mm -hmm. with with the process of using energy from his mind. Well, with the the, um, added complication of having a nuclear, like having that right in your backyard. Of course. Almost like a stranger things, right? Yeah. Because then these things just multiply like amoeba. Essentially. Yeah, that's the weird like, part. Boom, boom, boom. They have exactly. no like, reproduction. They're not mating and reproducing. They're so just multiplying. Is the fact that the professor exists spawning even more of them? Is it just the simple fact that there's nuclear, like, you know, like... I uh, guess that's it. The nuclear power. Exactly. And, and hybridization and, like, mutations of these things. Yeah. We never actually see that, though. We never see no. any babies. We never see any spawning. We or, just like, see them grow. Like, we see them, we yeah. see them get a little bit bigger. And then that's the other... Th- thing that's interesting here that I made a note of that I wanted to ask you because they become visible as they become stronger. So, which is a weakening factor, which is, a, yeah, that's where it's, it's for me, it comes into this whole, like not a, not double entendre, but like, what am I trying to say? Like a, the, the parallel right between the humans and their increasing capability, increasing technology, how that eventually hinders them in the end. Right. Same thing with these creatures, right? Yeah. They're getting stronger, but they're also getting weaker, but there's okay. There's they're eating and sucking brains and things like that. I suppose that you can make the argument. That's why they become visible they're, They need the, the physical matter that we can see to exist. So eventually they will become visible because that's what they keep consuming. Perhaps, but it seemed more obvious that it was the increasing nuclear, um, like, you know, when they start adding more to the generators, that's when they become visible. Right. They obviously are in a, yeah, yeah. It's just so odd though. It's like, because there's no byproduct of them eating these brains or anything. I know, right? There's no... They just maintain. And that was kind of another question I had. So it's like, okay, clearly the nuclear technology and the nuclear material is their main source of power. 
why are they so nefarious? Like, why are they going out and attacking these people? Is it like a two-pronged thing where they need sustenance in the form of like brains and well, that's like, what I'm, that's, or, yeah. cause like for me, it would, it would seem more plausible if they were just like these like literally nuclear power hungry organisms that they would go straight to that and they would defend that. Right. So if say the humans tried to intervene, that's when they become victims. It seems more random than that though, right? Because the first victims are just out in the middle of the woods. The second victims are just two farmers going about their day, you know? Yeah. So it seems like they're kind of more nefarious, more hunters or predators to a certain degree. Very much like, yeah, like the creatures in, in, alien, in alien. They are fiends. The fiends is, is the perfect name for it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's bizarre. They don't really seem to have any, yeah, no organization or anything. Yeah, they just attack at random. It's very, very odd. As if they're punishing the victims or they're punishing the locals and the military. What do you Everyone. Think? Yeah, like, is there... Is there a moral lesson to be learned here? <laughs> well, that's that was the question I was just going to ask you, too. Well, sort of, in a way. There's obviously a very, kind of a harsh message in terms of nuclear power here. Mm-hmm. You think that was just a kind of a byproduct of this? Or is that, like, some oh, people that... pulling the... Str- like, we didn't really dig too, too far into that specifically. But it definitely sounds like someone who was involved in this film production was just like dead set against nuclear power. Definitely is a political statement against that. Or or just like almost like an Aesop's fable, right? Where it's like a, a moral... Be weary of, of what can... A cautionary tale. A cautionary mm-hmm. tale. Yeah. yeah. You can spawn evil fiends. You Nobody can. wants that. Nobody. It's less than ideal in all circumstances. <laughs> well, uh, do you have anything else we want to do? Or maybe it's here? a lesson to not spy on your Russian enemies. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually a Russian produced film uh, <laughs> trying to scare people into believing fiends exist. So. Not true. <laughs> False. They came from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my favorite scene is definitely the end when they're just, there's the barrage of the fiends and they have that final shootout and the Melville guy gets wrapped up and oh, yeah. he's killed instantly. Like that's the, th- that's the other th- interesting thing too. It's like the brain sucking thing is quick. It goes, Mm -hmm. they obviously have some sort of proboscis. Yeah. They're very much like chupacabras. They're brain chupacabras. Kind of. Well, what happened to the guy that ends up interrupting them, right? Remember they're in the middle of like trying to placate the locals and the mayor and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, you know, it's, it's not the, the the guy that's running amok. And then he ends up, they hear the moaning and he's like, and then he's like, just kind of barges in in the middle of their meeting oh yeah he survived yeah he's that guy and he survived but part of his brain was missing. exactly so he's almost just been like turned to mush like yeah hmm. he had been lobotomized they didn't have time to suck out all his juices i suppose freaky man awesome movie like one of my favorite sci-fi movies i absolutely love it so it's great i know some of you guys listen to to the point it's it's a nice succinct plot it's 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 a, actually a pretty short film. It is. It's only it's I feel like it's under an hour. Mm-hmm. It's like fifty something minutes. It is. It's close to an hour, just over, just under. Okay. You get a nice little little romance aspect to it as well. And the towel clad. Yep. Towel Another clad. obviously controversial part of the film, the the <laughs> the gore, and then that, which were the parts of it that made it the classic B yeah. ra- the B sci-fi. If they didn't have that, it would have been instantly forgotten. And it's become a Criterion classic. Yeah. Which is amazing. So yeah, I think that kind of brings us to the end of this film Friday. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, this is a listener suggested uh, aspect of the show. So we definitely have a few that like we do that we love, Mm -hmm. including this one, Fiend Without a Face. But we really want to hear what you guys have to say. So let us know your suggestions. Hit us up on social media. You know where to find us at Into the Portal Podcast. You can send us an email into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, hmm. What else was I going to say? There, obviously, hit up our network. Check oh, us yeah. out. Straightupstrange.com. We're actually in the middle of revamping our website. We're actually moving to a new home. So we're going to Shopify from Squarespace, which means hmm, if anyone knows anything about Shopify, e-commerce giants. So we're going to have a few really fun, just one-off items that we're going to be rolling out soon. So look forward to that. It's going to be sweet. And then of course, next week, brand new episode. What are we talking about, Andrew? Well, we are going to be getting into a few different aspects of strange cases of dogmen and dog-headed creatures Mm -hmm. throughout history. Uh, Bipedal, I should be specific. Going all the way back into the ancient world, but also some modern cases of just pure strangeness here in North America. So that's what's coming at you guys next week. I'm excited for that one. If anyone in and around that has listened to the show because like these encounters with dogmen are quite common apparently and they're spread out all over like uh, the michigan dogman the um oh, Ooh, uh, beast I, of bray the beast of bray road that's in wisconsin wisconsin there's yeah. a whole bunch there's been even reports in canada as well yeah on the all East over Coast, even so. in alaska i saw a few so very very strange if anyone has any cool stories related to the dogmen let us know. Definitely hit us up. As always, thank you to our uh, Patreon producer, Jordan Yu, and to all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, shout out this week to Aaron Bloom. He's been a longtime listener and supporter of the show. Just wanted to give him a little shout out. And same to Wesley Price mm-hmm. over there in Australia. Those two guys, Please. longtime listeners and supporters of us here at Into the Portal. So uh, thank you guys. And thank you to all of you guys for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. or wherever you listen to the show. And tell your friends about it uh, if they like things that are strange as well. The weird, the freaky, the strange, all that jazz. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.